of Colorado and the white school, trying so hard to get into Recording up here, upstairs at Little Beaver Brewery again. It's a beautiful day. People are hanging out on the patio. Families are out here. They got the garage doors open. I didn't know those doors could come open actually. And uh, it's a nice breeze coming in here too. People are sitting around eating and drinking. I got my hazy IPA, the Space Crystals IPA. It's my favorite one that they do here. We've got some mozzarella balls and onion rings on their way, so should be a nice time. Here with us today is Justin, as always. Hi, Justin. Hi. <laughs> and also, uh, Amelia Burgess is joining us again. Thanks, Thanks for, for having back. me. Yeah. We got a lot of positive feedback on the last time that you came. People said that they thought it was a really cool episode. So thank you for coming back in and chatting with us. And it broke up just two guys talking to each other the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. To get ha- happy, to, happy to break you guys yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> that, that works. Um, also want to thank two new patrons that we have. Clayton Matheson, he was on the episode that we did with the Bloomington Firefighters Union. So um, thanks a lot for Clayton. And also Jenna Ramey, who uh, I believe is the first patron that we have that uh, we don't know personally. So very cool that you like our show enough to uh, buy us a cup of coffee, Jenna. I really, we really appreciate that. So both of you signed up at the cup of coffee level, and Justin and I got to enjoy a, a latte on you guys. So You just sh- you shot yourself in the foot because she's going to come back and say, yeah, we know each other, and you're going to feel real bad. Yeah, I probably like work with her or something. So <laughs> I, 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 Facebook, I, I searched you, Jenna, couldn't, couldn't see where we had. So it looks like just a, a pure fan, our first pure fan. That's, that's good. We have one. We have at least one fan. So what's on what's on everyone's minds? I don't have a set agenda. Um, yeah, I, I don't really either. Um, but I'm glad to, I'm glad we got together. There's been a lot that's happened over the last probably. I mean, the election was the last episode Tyson and I did yeah. was right after the election. Kind of talked about the results a little bit. And since then, we've seen Bloomington in the news quite a bit with uh, some controversy. And then I saw yesterday, I don't know if you guys saw, um, a video of Kelby Cumston and Stan Nord on Facebook together. Um, like it, You know, you're scrolling Facebook and like... I had to like it was like the equivalent of a double take. Like I had to scroll back. I was like, "Who? What's going on here?" And they were talking about um, housing and like the evictions and how that's going to catch up once the. Um, I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but you know, once the um, eviction moratorium mm-hmm. stops, mm-hmm. that we're just going to have a mass exodus of people getting evicted. And obviously, with the housing situation the way it is, there's not enough houses going around. Um, that landlords are going to be more in tune to kick the people out that aren't paying rent and how that can affect things. So I thought it was interesting to see those two team up for a video, not uh, an unlikely pair. Yeah. <laughs> I heard about that. I didn't watch it yet though. So Stan's pretty good at reaching across the aisle to find common ground and on, um, on Facebook videos, at least. Yeah, I don't know. I just <laughs> think he likes Facebook videos. Um, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting to me how like that post-election, um, you see some of that, which I suppose is a good thing, right? Um, the campaigns aren't as cutthroat anymore, so they can get together on an issue that obviously those two probably don't agree on a whole lot, but they found something they agreed on and was were able to make a video on it. Uh, so yeah, Justin and I, Amelia, Justin and I went on at length about the election results. Do you have any kind of hot takes or perspectives on it? Any, do you think we're going to be sort of business as usual, or do you think there's uh, some, some things that might change, either normal or Bloomington? Well, you know, my fo- focus, because I live in Bloomington, and 
was on Bloomington's council is always a little bit more Bloomington-centric. Um, and, you know, I'm curious to see what happens. There's been a significant change over on the Bloomington Council, a lot of new people. I know that staff is uh, very much concerned with getting them up to speed quickly, which I think is excellent, and a big improvement over where we've been sometimes in the past in terms of getting people onboarded, because the amount of things you have to learn, no matter how good of a candidate you were and how educated you were as a candidate, is just, um, uh, it's it's pretty um, intimidating sure. for anyone. And, um, you know, it'll be curious to see, the thing I'm most interested in is, will Mboka change his style from when he was on council to now when he is mayor. They're different roles, very similar in a lot of regards, but also very different. And how will he step into that leadership role? Um, I don't have any answers. I mean, I think we have our first indication of that with the recent special meeting that he kind of took the lead on Mm -hmm. in calling for. Um, And, you know, I don't know how much that tells us about what his leadership style will be. Um, I don't know if either of you have any thoughts. I mean, certainly he's indicated he's going to try to be very responsive to council member requests. You know, but all of that is in a context, I think, of council trying to be productive. And I'm curious um, how moving forward, let's say, for example, you know, Mboka chooses a leadership style and becomes a mayor who is more in the cheerleader role, um, who doesn't necessarily put... put out proposals or, you know, make broad policy recommendations, then I think we have to look at council and say, okay, are there any people on council who have specific interests or initiatives that they've just been waiting for the right opportunity to bring forward? Because council members can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I was on council, we, uh, several of us, um, for example, Scott Black and I worked very hard on putting together a proposal for a safe streets ordinance, which then ultimately was passed. Um, Karen Schmidt and I worked together on making changes to the rental property inspection program, right? Neither of us was mayor, uh, but the council empowered us to do that. So I'm curious, you know, do you see any uh, members of council stepping up into that leadership role in terms of moving forward, you know, not not getting in the way of what the mayor does, but moving forward policy initiatives uh, to fulfill what they have campaigned on? Yeah, that was my biggest uh, red flag when, when Mboka came on the podcast is we asked him, we asked everybody, what would your... What would your number one priority be? Like, if you were just in charge of everything, what would you do? What would your meeting look like? And Boca was like, well, that's not really how it works. Like, you know, we get agendas and, you know, we, my first my first act of May will probably be approving some bills or something like that. And we're like, yeah, you're not you're missing the question. But that kind of encapsulated to me what my concern is, is it's just going to be staff running it. So, um I mean, I think Jamie Matthew has shown himself able to get behind initiatives and structure things before, so I can see that coming from him. The new people are just going to have to learn the ropes for a while, to your point, right, before they get to the point of doing that. Um, I hope that Tim Gleason can provide some some continuity on the big projects, you know, Library, O'Neill Pool, other capital investments, um, Connect Transit, Market Street Garage. I hope he can provide some of that continuity, but... Well, I think they can, right? I mean, they can do that. I mean, at the end of the day, no, they're not. We pay the city manager to do the job. But it's the vision of the mayor that's voted on by the people of the city, by whole. And it's the only position that the entire city votes on. Well, and the comprehensive plan. That is. You know, I think in the absence of a mayor that is putting forth initiatives, I think you just go back to that comprehensive plan and say, have we accomplished? I mean, it, it, it has an implementation strategy. 
Yeah. And, you know, like I always like to mention, Justin knows the conference and plan better than anyone. How are we doing? Yeah, I mean, Tim has definitely moved it forward, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, compared to our previous city manager, knocking off at least some of the lower-hanging fruit. Um, But I'll go back to, I mean, it does take the mayor or council, either one, to really highlight, like, what's going to make the biggest differences and how can we, like, and push it forward, like, I, I don't want to keep saying the word cheerleader, but like the person that's going to be the voice to get out there and rally the the city behind projects, and that's going to help uh, drum up the, the the urgency to get some of this stuff done, right? Other, otherwise, it's again just another plan sitting there that we have plenty of time to figure out how to do it because there's always going to be emergencies that pop up and uh, infrastructure needs that pop up that we're going to have to allocate funds to that maybe push these things back unless someone is creating that urgency within the plan. Um, and I mean, Tyson and I both serve on planning commission, and, and everything's you know. The, the comprehensive plan is a sounding board for everything that comes up. They always look through it and say, this is how this meets this part of the plan and this part of the plan. Um, and we might have some opinions on definitions of, of certain things within that, within yeah. that plan, but I, it's there. But we, what I think we're missing with the comp plan is someone to take ownership of it, leadership of it and be the voice to get people excited about it again. It was very exciting when we introduced the comp plan, won awards, um, but now it's just kind of drumming along, and whenever the city staff can find something in it that they can knock off, they do. But I think we need someone to really push it. Um, It'll I don't be interesting f- I, when we refresh it. I assume next year, or maybe maybe later this year, whenever the census data comes in. Probably next year because the census data is delayed. But uh, it'll be a, it'll be a really cool experience to take stock and see. How are we doing, right? That's that's part of what I want to see whenever we do the update is what goals are in here, what progress have we made, have we slipped behind in some goals. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because the comprehensive plan, I think, sets forth such an incredible vision for what we wanted our community to be. And it wasn't um, just council. It wasn't just the planning individuals who were involved in it. I mean, the whole community came together to help create that plan. Um, and, you know people are going to have different opinions about different portions of it, but for the most part, it reflects a vision for our community that we haven't achieved yet. And I think that's the frustrating thing in, with so many um, different areas of life, but especially with municipal government, is how incremental change can be. So how do we get you know, a, a more radical implementation, for lack of a better way of putting it, of these visions that we have for our community? Because I think, you know, I was just talking to someone recently, and they described their ideal community. And they talked about walkability and family-friendly and, you know, um, easily accessible grocery stores, all of these things. And I'm, I'm willing to bet if you talk to, you know, 10 people, nine people will say, yeah, that's, when I think of the ideal community, that's, that's my, you know, city utopia. But we're not there. Why not? And, and how do we get there and create a sense of urgency? And not to circle back. That, that was another frustrating part with the special meeting is that, you know, less than two weeks after a post, we have a meeting and a vote, and yet some of these other ideas that aren't, like, I don't want to, the simple ones, garbage downtown, I'll bring it up, you know, for the millionth time. Is that something that you've, uh, you've thought Yeah. Do you have any opinions on that? I'm just saying, <laughs> though, like... What do you think, Justin? Like, <laughs> two, two weeks... Come on. I mean, they, they have a plan. They're it just shows you, it. though, right? It shows you that, like, you put some energy and focus and some drive into something, you can get a vote 
really quick. You would call a special meeting for something. Yeah. But, but you know, you, we, for some reason, garbage downtown is going on two decades or better of being a problem. And all I keep hearing is, well, you don't understand. Things are happening in the background. Well, holy sh- Nikes. Like, those are slow things. Right? Like, come on. Um, Normal's taken some bold moves in comparison to Bloomington, of course. And, um, you know, a vote for the status quo there seems to be a vote for continuing to make those moves. Right. One Normal Plaza, um, Trail East. I think I'm getting the terms right. I always feel weird calling that One Normal Plaza because I think of that being part of downtown but it's not it's the soldiers and sailors home over there um voting to extend that uh the constitution trail up there um it it was interesting because i'm usually the one in my household who's saying like oh we got to watch the budget we got to you know we can't invest in new infrastructure and my wife's usually the one going like you know oh come on like we got to make it a nice community and we flipped on this one where i said we used to live up there we used to live out in savannah green and one of the main reasons we wanted to move somewhere else was because we couldn't get anywhere. It's, it's trapped. You couldn't mm-hmm. walk to the Constitution Trail. Couldn't really even get there on bike. And so the fact that now that's going to be connected to the trail, I think that's huge for, for the value of the properties in, those, in that area. Um, I think it really helps improve that whole area there, going up uh, Pine Street. Um, but uh, <laughs> my wife, Susan, was like, you know, I don't know. It's a lot of money. It seems like there's some streets to fix. I'm like, oh, what's, what's going on here? We keep switching. But... Um, yeah, well, I mean, the the points, the point is that normal, the status quo, is to continue spending like the way they've been spending, mm-hmm. uh, and the the debate in normal was really like, is is enough enough? Let's see what private dollars can bring in, or should we continue publicly investing to continue to get private dollars to come in, and. Um, yeah, I mean, they're going to keep going. And, I, I mean, specific to your project, you just talked about the Constitution Trail. Of course, I'm for that. Uh, studies show homes along the trail sell faster. Um, yep. We actually have data on that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no more, there's no debate on that. So, I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but the Uptown 2.0, I think that's where a lot of questions are because it's a higher dollar, too. They really got to fill that downstairs. <laughs> uh, one, one uptown, yeah. I think every time we talk about it, I say that. But gosh. yeah, I just walked. We walked by it uh, about a week ago, and uh, we, my wife and I were talking about it. We're just, it's, it's just, sad. It's it's just like <laughs> really hard to argue that you need any more space there. Yeah. When you've got this space that should be really attractive to places, brand new, there should be people flocking to get in there, but somehow people aren't, and whatever's making that not happen the town's got to work that out and get that filled it's I think they need a sports bar there that's well, my vote whatever it is and, and you know there, there are some other vacant properties in Uptown and it's, it's a rough time with the global pandemic um, sure. that feels like at this point it's never going to end but um <laughs> but it undermines the justification right and that's mm-hmm. that. so either so I, I agree with you that that is a little bit of a problem because it creates this disconnect. You have the elected officials saying we need to incentivize projects because eventually that will lead to more private investment. And then you have the public going, well, we've incentivized and, and the private investment that we are expecting because we see an empty storefront isn't occurring. So what's yeah. happening? Yeah. Um, and I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know enough about it. But I think either either you need to figure out what that issue is that's preventing um, filling those vacancies and get them filled or you need to change your narrative, right? You need to stop yes. saying, well, we need to invest because it'll only spur private investment and shift to we want to invest because we want a great place to live. Yeah. And we have to fill the gap because private investment, for whatever reason, isn't 
Um, so it's consistent with what people are seeing. I think it's that lack of consistency that undermines confidence. And I think that's why we saw, um, you know, the challenger to Mayor Coos come so very close to winning. Um, and, you know, keep in mind this last election was not a landslide for Mayor Coos. I mean, mm-hmm. it was still, you know, in the grand scheme of things. In comparison to four years ago, it was. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, by yeah. comparison. But, you know, I mean, 40 plus percent of the population still voted for his challenger. Sure. And I don't think you should just discount that having occurred. I think you need to ask yourself, well, you know, what are those individuals unhappy about? What do they want to see change? Um, and take that into account. And if you can improve your messaging and, cho- and improve your narrative and get more information out there that is consistent, then you will just build confidence in the system, which I think is what all elected officials should be looking to do. Mm-hmm. But, man, there's no, like, we've spent, my family has spent more time in Uptown Normal over the past month or, month to two months than we have in downtown Bloomington. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. that's and that's weird for me to say because I'm a downtown person. Mm-hmm. I obviously, used to have an office down there. I was downtown every day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've spent a lot of time in Uptown over the last two months. And, I mean, not just me, the planning nerd, talking about it. Like My wife brings up stuff all the time. Like, look, she, she, she was counting the garbage and recycle on uh, the block we went to eat at The Rock. And we were sitting outside at a picnic table, and she was counting all the garbage and recycle cans that were on that block. Um, and so, I mean, it's... It's just, it's to me, it's not like it's where you draw the line with with uh, public investment, obviously, and that's the question. in normal is when do you stop? Um, but in Bloomington, I think we need to start <laughs> doing something. Um, if nothing else, abandoned buildings. You mentioned in normal, Bloomington's got a crisis uh, with mm-hmm. abandoned buildings. Um, downtown is a big one or a big area for that, but they're throughout the town, uh, throughout the city. Um, I mean, obviously, Eastland Mall is not abandoned, but. It's as close as you can get. Um, downtown, I mean, we've been talking about the uh, front and center building for a long time. Um, State Farm is still a large, I mean, they got awesome tenant in there, but a lot of it's still vacant. Um, do they have a new name for that, by the way? Did I miss that? I don't know what that name for that is. I just is. don't want to keep calling it State Farm Building uh, if I don't have to. I'm not sure uh, if it's been renamed that. or not. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, yeah. that would be... A when good it thing came to do. To planning, there was some other name for it that they used. I can't remember what it was. Um, anyway, okay, we don't know what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, got but, the, and, but that's not the only vacant building. I mean, no, CVS, have, Osco. One, the, yeah, CVS and Osco, which is having some some maintenance issues. Yeah. And you also had the have the one on the corner of what is that? Jefferson and. Oh yeah, yeah. Maine? Jefferson, Maine. Yeah. What is that? What what is that building called? It's like one one main plaza. Yeah, one main plaza that has been empty for ten plus years. Absolutely. Well, same with front and center, and yeah. I mean, yeah. But so it I, doesn't get as much attention, and I don't know why. It's uh, been empty just as long. Maybe it's just because they've they kept did, up a better yeah, facade. Yeah, they did a little updates. They do. It doesn't look as an eyesore as front and center. Yeah, but it's at not the end quite of the day, as large, it's but abandoned. it's still pretty big. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, sitting there empty every single day. It is underperforming. So something that's interesting is contrasting that with what I hear from folks about. Uh, I'm not looking for a house right now, but what I hear from folks about who are trying to buy houses. I was just having a, a drink with a friend yesterday, and he said he's had his eye on a condo in uh, in downtown Bloomington for for years now. He really wants these, these his condo, and he you know he'd made his intentions clear. He's watching it really close. It went up, and within 45 minutes, it was already under contract. He's mm-hmm. like, "What's going on there?" Like, well, we already knew we had somebody else. He's, I, 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 I thought I was that person. I thought I wanted it. Um, and it's not even finished. Like, it's an unfinished interior uh, parts of it. And so there's just such a demand for certain types of places and places for people to live, not just condos, but houses. And then you got these other buildings who have been vacant. It seems like those two should, should 
mesh up, right? If you got people who want to live in a certain kind of place, make those things. So whatever friction's in the way, that's where I think the city's got to look real close and, and try to yeah. try to see how they can lubricate that. But here, here's the thing, and then I, I'm really glad you brought this up because I think we are at a we are at a point where. Um, because demand for housing is much, much larger than the housing stock we have available, we have a ch- we're going to have a choice as a community. Mm-hmm. If we do nothing, the housing we will get is the one that the market supports without any additional incentive, and that is going to be more sprawl. Yep. It's going to be more subdivisions. It's going to be more things that drain um, uh, you know, drain resources from the city, because we know, and this is in the comp plan, and I'm sure you've talked about this many, many times, mm-hmm. is that these you know, leapfrog or sprawl developments, they don't make sense ta- from a tax dollar perspective. Right, they don't pay for themselves, yep. um, but they do make sense from the developer's point of view. So, if we let the you know free market decide on this in an unintentional way, we're going to get more sprawl development. We're going to lose more of our farmland, and we're never going to get it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to allow growth in a way that is contrary to our comprehensive plan. So this is where we need someone at the city, and hopefully it would be the mayor or strong voices on city council, to stand up and say, no, our comprehensive plan calls for infill development where necessary. If there are barriers to that, if there are re- we need to look at why developers aren't interested in doing that, and how do we change that economic um, playing field to make sure we get the city we want. Yeah. Because otherwise, th- those buildings will stay vacant while new buildings are built on the far east side. I totally agree with what you said. I just wanted to poke on one point where you said if we let the free market do it. Um, I wouldn't say it's a free market. There is some degree to that, but it's also just all the rules and the laws at every level of government are all set up to incentivize uh, sprawl-type development. Our zoning laws are set up that way. Our lending rules are set up that way. You know, like, financially... Uh, legally, it's all just sort of like, uh, it's easy to go that route. It's harder to do something like thicken up in the, in the already existing area to increase density in the existing area. Um, that's my understanding traditionally what's been done for thousands and thousands of years, but our system now is not set up that way. So, um, I, I, you know, from a, you know, a, I guess a conservative ear on it would say, oh, yeah, I want the free market to do its thing. I think helping people recognize that it's not the free market. It's, it's actually top-down government planning that's, <laughs> that's Thank you. That, that, you know, I appreciate that correction because that's a really important distinction to make, that it's not the free market. It is a system that's been set up to incentivize a certain type of um, yeah. of progress, and that is now inconsistent with what is, you know, what our comprehensive plan and what, in my yeah. opinion, is best for our community. So, and, and what, I think you. what you were saying is, if we don't do anything deliberate to change that, that's what we're going to run down, right? Like yep. that's the track that we're on. And Thank you for making yeah. me sound better than I could make that's myself. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying it because sometimes I feel like I'm. Uh, banging my head against the wall on that point so it was really refreshing to hear someone else should make it well but it, it is tough because we get used to the things being the way they are right and it is un- change is uncomfortable uh, and there are barriers to change so we need to be sympathetic to that if we want change to occur but that doesn't mean we stop trying for sure yeah companies are thinking through how often people need to be present on site, right? Uh, you see this with State Farm, my employer, who I'll tread lightly on talking about. You see it with, you know, across the board of just um, companies realizing through this last year, maybe we don't need to have people be here all the time. And one of the things that I really love that you said last time we were talking, Amelia, on the podcast was about how we could make this a place that people live who are working once or twice a month in like Chicago or St. Louis or Indianapolis or something like that. So that further increases the need to have smart housing development if we can try, if we're 
thinking that a competitive advantage for us might be pulling people in who don't want to live into a city. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? What, do, you, do you think everyone's just going to be working out of their uh, out of their home offices uh, permanently going forward, or are we? No, yeah. I don't. I, um, but I think that we're going to see a lot more of it. Um, I mean, what I hope. Uh, I'll start with what I hope, and then what I think we'll probably end up seeing that I'm fearful of. I, I hope we get to a point where bosses, corporations, small and large, see the benefit of flexibility for the employee. Uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, for mental health, um, for that work-life balance that we always hear about, all those reasons to have flexibility. And what I mean by flexibility is they can come into the office, but you know what? If For a mental health, if they wake up and say, I don't want a people today, they don't have to feel like they're going to lose their job if they say, can I work from home? Mm-hmm. Or if, they're, if it's a half day at their ch- child's school, they can say, hey, I'm just going to work from home today because my kid's going to come, come home at 1230. They don't have to have the fear of losing their job or, or getting reprimanded or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's what I mean by flexibility. I think if you do that and set some expectations where, hey, you need to be in the office at least once or twice a week to you know touch base and do something like that, I think most people are going to respond really well to that. Mm-hmm. What I think will probably happen... Can I just, can yeah, I just go ahead. something that, that triggered a really interesting thought I hadn't really dwelled on before, but I think you're exactly right. It, it's really a, um, it's a chance for some people who, where the work environment hasn't worked well for them before to thrive in a work environment. Absolutely. So two things that I've reflected on over the last year that are a big advantage for me in the work environment is one, I'm very extroverted. And so when I'm around people, I get a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are the opposite are drained by the work environment. And that's not that's not fair. It's not inclusive of their psychological needs, right? Um, the second thing is that my wife and I made a, um, a agreement that she was going to stay home once we started having kids. That's what made sense for our family. It's a choice that we made. But she's on point for all of the kids stuff, um, and so that and that burden typically falls um, on that responsibility typically falls on women, right? Yeah. And so people who are trying to still work and to balance their families, um, typically that's more difficult for the women. They end up getting assigned those roles. And now to be able to do like what you said is, hey, I just got to over lunch. I got to go get my kid, bring them back, and they're going to be here. I got to work in the afternoon. It's going to be great for my uh, gender equality perspective too. Absolutely. So, uh, so it's a neat take on it. I hadn't thought about that before. And I mean, I'll plug because I've wrote two separate editorials on this. One talking about. Um, it's one of yours. Mm-hmm. What's that? Is it one of yours in Fantagraph? Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, there's two of them. <laughs> um, it w- one was talking about people no longer needing to live in the city that they work in, and one was talking about mental health and flexibility of, mm-hmm. uh, of working from home. But what I fear is going to happen is that the flexible hybrid work environment is going to become. Um, popular to say it's going to become um, like a fad and corporations are going to say hey we can do that and look at an employee and say hey on Thursdays you can work from home well Thursdays cool I guess but like that doesn't what's that do <laughs> um, you know if thir- if my kid gets out of school at noon on Wednesday and not Thursday like that does nothing for me and so I fear that the, we're just going to try to sh- in, in, in a corporate world, especially, they try to have so much structure, and, and, and reason, like I understand the reasoning behind that, of course. But uh, I don't know. I, I, my fear is that we we try to make a one size fit all that's not going to fit anybody, and, and, and we then people have to go through all the trouble and expense of 
having a place that they can work at home yeah just for that one day a week yeah it'd be worse for them and that's a great point too some people just i mean uh, i work with somebody that like hardly ever works from home he comes in he's the only one in the office um kind of what you said hey even if i see four people it gives me more energy than sitting at home um you know my uh, i have young kids at home and i get distracted easily like people know where they are it goes back to hiring good people and the argument is people are going to take advantage of it and i say absolutely people are going to take advantage of it right i mean that's true with everything there's a small percentage of people that are going to take advantage of a system um do do you think that those people are 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 more are more effective though when they're at work right that's I mean, what I, mean. I, I think that if there's if there are impediments to getting work done I think those will be present whether they're under a hybrid model or an all-in office model right 100%. there's something going on there it's a bad fit or you know I mean some other reason 100 percent yeah I, um, I, I agree but you know I, I, I'd want to highlight something that was mentioned I, I think Tyson mentioned it but is worth mentioning as loudly and clearly as and as often as possible is that this pandemic has had a disproportionate disproportionate impact on women mm-hmm. and more so on women of color and I think that we can't stop saying that because it has been a huge setback to those you know incremental equality gains that we've made over the last decades or so um, and from my perspective it's not a new problem it is additional pressure on a system that already wasn't working and it wasn't working for women and it you know and it wasn't working for families families have had to make a choice in so many different ways to make work fit into their lives so we need to have a really robust conversation in this country about how to get better work-life balance so that people don't have to choose between their career and their family. That's mm-hmm. not an acceptable choice to have people make. And I think corporations are having those conversations. I mean, we've heard from several corporations across the country that have already said hybrid or flexible or change the way that their employees are going to come to work. So I think those conversations are happening. Um, but I also hear conversations, and before we went on air, you mentioned a quote from from somebody that you can read, but of just a hard stance of one way or the other, yeah. right? And, and that's where my fear comes from of saying, like even someone like that that says, no, we're 100% going to be back to work. Eventually, that, that company might get pressure to think, all right, we got to do a hybrid. So, all right, fine. Thursdays, this department can work from home. Tuesdays, this department can work from home. And that's not me- meeting the needs of anybody, including the corporation. Yeah, uh, shoehorning it into an existing system right. to say that you have it is not a fix either. Right, right? Exactly. Because when, when you have people in the office, there's that, that you have a metric, right? They're in the office for a certain number of hours, mm-hmm. and that's your metric of productivity. When you have people who aren't in the office, what's your what's your metric of productivity? Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, it can probably be better because it can be more... It can be you know, start looking truly at what has been accomplished, but it's a lot harder to measure. Yeah. It reminds me of when I hear companies saying that they have unlimited time off, they have unlimited vacation time. Like, oh, we don't cap your vacation time; you can take as much as you want. I, I, I love this. Effectively amounts to effectively amounts to no vacation time, yeah. right? Because yeah. then you can't ever just say, "I'm not here this week; don't talk to mm-hmm. me," right? Then you're always on you're always on call for something, right? Because oh, we can't just spend an hour here or there with it. Um, yeah, well, that, I mean, that's work from home, too, right? Mm-hmm. Once we were able to take, uh, w- once it was required to take your laptop home and be working from home, well, then, like, is 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock really your off time? Mm-hmm. Um, or are you going to be more likely to check that email after dinner type thing and, and get sucked into work? Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's worth it's worth having a really good discussion on, and, and not every corporation or business is going to be the same, right? And, and Nor should it be. Um, there's going to be different needs. I mean... 
I'm a trainer, so like there's times where like I should not be training from my house in the computer, right? Dogs barking and that kind of thing. But if I'm on projects and I'm sitting in front of a computer looking at spreadsheets and um, editing PowerPoints, like I can do that from my back deck. Um, really, it doesn't easily. matter what room you're doing that in. Right. Exactly yeah. right. Um, and what I've found um, over the last couple of weeks, more people are coming into the office when I'm in the office, and I go in the office more than I stay home. Is there's just there's a lot of distractions at the office, and so keep in mind I've only this is I, I just started my f- corporate job I don't know six months ago or so my first one in my life, and so all this is new experience to me. But there's a lot of distractions that happen when there are people in the office, and it's not even full yet. Like we're like you know ten percent capacity, and I'm like there's a lot of distractions here, mm-hmm. um, and I could see that really bothering me in the future when there's a lot of people there because I've never had that. When I need to work, I can shut an office door and work, and I can't do that where I'm at now. So that's gonna be weird, um, especially. And- if you're in a cubicle where yep. you don't have any doors, I mean, it's just wide open. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So, um, Justin, you mentioned the article that I was talking yeah. to you about before we went on air. And this is from Newsweek. It ran um, last week, I think. And I love the title because the title of it is Employees Balk at End of Remote Work. Quote, going back to the office is stupid, which <laughs> I thought was pretty funny. But it really paints a disconnect between what um, businesses are thinking about doing and what workers want. So one of the stats that they have in the article is that 83, 83% of CEOs want employees to run, return in person full time, but only 10% of employees want to come back full time. I mean, that's an interesting disconnect. Pretty drastic. And, and you know, compare that to another stat in there that said 47% of employees polled, and I don't remember, I didn't write down who um, did this research, but anyway, 47% of employees polled said that they were likely to leave their job if not allowed to work remotely at least part of the time. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I, th- th- that- I think businesses need to pay attention to what their employees want because those businesses who don't at least have this conversation are going to send a pretty pretty clear message that employees' opinions on this matter don't that aren't la- taken into account. That last stat you just made is interesting and a point that I brought up I think to my wife uh, a little bit a few days ago is that it's not like we've been doing this for a couple weeks we've been doing this over a year so now you're not asking someone to go back to normal this is normal for them now they have adjusted their entire life to be working from home so that when if you're going to flip a switch and say now back to the office on June 1st or July 1st or whatever that date is that's a disruption of a of a large magnitude for people's lives um so now, that, now think about if you lived in a larger metropolitan area yeah. where you had a commute of 45 minutes to an hour, which is not unusual. Right. And for the past year, you've had an extra hour and a half to two hours to spend with your family. You're not going to want to give that up. No. That's yeah. what I think especially in those areas, um, you know, if, if, it's one thing in Bloomington if you say, hey, you know, I need you to drive 10 minutes in the office for a meeting, <laughs> 15 minutes, right? So, yeah. There's no long commute in Bloomington normal. Yeah. If you're telling someone in Atlanta, hey, you need to, you need to spend an hour and a half fighting Atlanta traffic to get to the office for some meeting that they're not even really convinced they need to be with in person. That's a huge morale hit, right? That's a big chunk out of their lives. Um, it's it, something I thought about, what, and I get what workers do is kind of different, but in general, I wonder if some of that is the type of work that a CEO does versus the type of work that a quote-unquote worker does or like a frontline person because... When I, when I was a new employee, most of the stuff I did, I could do just as well at home. I could, you know, I'm cranking out spreadsheets and numbers and stuff like that. Uh, now as a manager, a significant part of my job is working with people and trying to, under, trying to influence, trying to understand what's going on. 
without being able to read body language or to have casual conversations or just to be able to drop by to talk to someone or have in-person meetings, like we're at a real disadvantage in our, term, in our ability to communicate because we can't see nonverbals very well. Um, so, I mean, better video technology would kind of help with that. But I wonder, to some degree, I find myself wanting to be in the office because I find myself over virtual calls not knowing if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to convince this person to do something. I can't see him, so I don't know if I'm convincing him or not, right? Um, so it could be like types of work, but regardless, you still have to make the you still have to make the case to somebody that it's important for them to do it. Otherwise, you're going to lose them, right? Yeah. I mean, I, and I, like you I, said, as a trainer, like if you're not there physically with the person, it's harder to train them, right? Because you don't know if they really understand what's going on. That's true, but I mean, honestly, like a hundred percent of our training since I've started has been virtual because oh, I, it has to well, be. I, yeah, I mean, that's, okay. that I started in uh, October, so um, yeah, it's it's a hundred percent virtual, and the technology's there, right? I mean, it, it, it's there to be able to do this stuff, um, yeah. and the way companies, not just mine, but uh, all of all the companies that, that I've read about have pivoted during the pandemic is quite impressive like really it is like uh within a matter of a week or two most companies figured it out like how can we stay afloat which is really really impressive when you think about it um because prior to that we did hardly they did hardly any training virtually and it's like now we we have to do it virtually how are we going to do this and within a week like they didn't skip a beat um so there was an area i used to work in it was very paper heavy everything we did was like print off this print off this write this up here staple this highlight this and uh, I don't I don't work there anymore. But I asked someone I used to work with. I was like, "How in the world did you guys convert? Everything's paper." And he's like, "It took us a couple of weeks, but we got it figured out." Now. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is when I when I was in that area, I was trying to like push an initiative to yeah. go electronic. So I'm like, "All this paper is ridiculous." Everyone was like, "Yeah, no, we don't want to do that." But I mean, when you're forced to do it, then you figure out a way. Well, and that's that was the essence of one of the editorials I wrote is like, let's not waste this disruption, right? Because it has been the the, the fuel to the fire that we can make some really great changes uh, that that could benefit a lot of people. Is but you don't don't come out of COVID with and go back to the way things were, because um, it wasn't a you know it wasn't a mental health utopia, it wasn't a time uh, work life balance utopia before. Um, and it's not going to be perfect going forward, but we should be able to use the technology and lessons learned to better ourselves. My mom yeah. said that she uh, likes your editorials, by the way. So oh. it's not just your mom. It's I, got two, yeah. I got two awesome. fans. I got two fans. That's good. You wrap well, them up. But I think that's such a good point because any time there's a disruption, there are challenges and opportunities that come along with that, right? And we've talked about some of the opportunities right now in that the hybrid work model, and you know, let's expand that the hybrid learning model, right? Yeah. Schools have had to adjust oh, sure. too, yeah. and some kids are thriving in that. And some need to be there in person Mm -hmm. because there's no one size fits all. So those are opportunities to improve the system for everyone, whatever that system may be. But there are challenges too, all right? So if we start seeing companies adopt a a hybrid workflow um, and hybrid work model or even going completely remote, we're going to have less demand for corporate um, office space. And that will be very disruptive to the Already real seen market. that, right? Yeah. I mean, not just corporate like office space, but just commercial. Commercial, yeah. Yeah. As, as great as residential real estate is right now, commercial real estate's at the opposite of that spectrum. Yeah. So, what, you know, so that's a challenge, but in every challenge, there's an opportunity too. Um, but all, there needs to be a pivot. And I don't know what the answer is, but I'd, I'd love to see some creative op, you know, ideas on how we adjust to that. Going back to our nerding out of planning, like this yeah. is also the opportunity that like the city needs to recognize this too, right? Like, um, you know, Better, better infrastructure with broadband, uh, free Wi-Fi in Bloomington. You know those types of 
things we need to be talking about years ago, which I, some I had. I know Jamie Matthews has been gr- a really loud component or, or uh, a loud advocate for that. But we need to like put the, the pedal to the floor now because we know by the end of this year, probably, like the way things are going to be different going forward. So we ha- it's going to take government a longer time to catch up to that. So we need to be having those really, really purposeful conversations that's going to create action really fast and not just plans, right? And something else with that, I've heard it tongue-in-cheek. Uh, people say that city planners had a great idea about 150 years ago of moving factories out away from residential areas, and they've been riding that ever since. Um, so there was a big movement to separate commercial and residential areas, right? You, you can't have those. Um, the downtown mixes them up, but uh, it's, there are not very many zone areas of the city where you're allowed to have commercial and residential areas in the same place. It's illegal, which seems weird. Um, but, it, you know, that was the zone. It's like you live here, you work over here. Uh, you have fun over here. But now I played SimCity when I was a kid. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> SimCity. Um but now that people are living where they work, right, maybe they're seeing the need that, gosh, it'd be really nice if I had a sandwich shop that was within walking distance of my house and I don't have to drive 15 minutes over here to the sandwich area to get that because they're, you know, we're all working from home. Our business and our residential is already mixed up. Maybe there's an opportunity to help people see that, uh, that those don't need to be as separate as they are right now. You have some more mixed-use areas. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with the mixed use part. I think the most difficult thing to get people's minds changed on is the density. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've just been conditioned on having that ten thousand square foot lot and traffic. Yeah, and traffic yeah. and the you know community pool for just your subdivision, the community park that's just for your subdivision, and yeah. that's going to be a harder sell to get people away from that. Nor do I think that's all. You know, we should for everybody, um, but I think. Especially, I mean, I've definitely read studies that show the younger population loves the more dense, you know, areas where they can walk to the grocery store, walk to work, which would be another, to your point earlier, right? Like, if I only got to go to the office for four times a week for a few meetings, like, it'd be great if I could take a 15-minute walk and get there. Yeah. Um, Public transportation. Yeah. Biking. I mean, with Rivian and Normal... I mean, I, I, I haven't heard much of this conversation uh, recently, but I know a couple years ago they were really big on making sure they get a bus stop out there and they have bus go, a bus going out there and they were, like, talking to the city and the town about we're, we're going to be hiring a lot of people, we need places for them to live, which is part of the reason we're having the housing situation we're in. But they were in conversations with, like, condos. Like, we need affordable condos for them to live in the downtowns and uptowns because that's where the people we're going to be hiring are going to want to live. Like, they had that instinct uh, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know how much action we really took on it, which we probably lost some. Like, um, And I... I, of course, I'm not privy to every conversation that happens, but like looking at some of the buildings we were just talking about downtown, like how many of those could we have partnered with Rivian on and figured something out with creating some housing for them? Um, and that, and, a, and like think about the State Farm building. If we could took a three floors from that, and then said, "Hey, we're going to give you a direct bus route from the downtown transfer center straight out to Rivian." We're going to, um, if, you know, if a developer comes in and d- decides to do that, then we're going to, you know, rebate some taxes over the next couple of years to help you renovate those. And um, now 
that's a true partnership between Rivian and the city. We see a lot of them between Rivian and the town, but that would have been a cool partnership between Rivian and the city of Bloomington. If I can um, jump back, Amelia, to something you said, you brought up virtual schooling. I just kind of wondered how that's gone with your family and what observations you've had about the pros and cons. Is there anything you wanted to share along those lines? Or have you done in person the whole time? No, no. We've, um, I actually, uh, we started out remote completely. I have two boys. We started out remote. um, And one is now doing um, in person and one has stayed remote. And first of all, I've got to say thank you to the educators because they are working so hard. I mean, so hard and have gone through so much this past year to make it work for the kids. Um, and it's really extraordinary. And, you know, as a parent, I get to see that, right? When we're doing remote learning, I see how hard the teachers are working on that computer screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've experienced um, that duality. Like one of my, my sons is doing just flourishing under remote learning, right? He's had his best school year ever. He's really been able to focus on the academics. He's grown a lot. He's, um, you know, he's social, even though it's remote. Like there's a lot, they, they really have done a great job of doing group projects and staying social. Uh, and it's just really worked for him. My other, my other son, he needs to be there in person, right? Learning doesn't work the same way for him. He needs to be there in person. And so I really wish going forward there was a way for us to continue, you know, with my son who's doing well remote. I wish there was some element of remote that we could keep mm-hmm. because he's doing so well. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that would require, I think the assumption is schools will go back to, you know, normal, whatever that is, and, and that traditional method of instruction. But I think it would be a shame if they did without some reflection, because I know that my son who's doing well remotely is not the only person, yeah. right? The, not the only student who is finding that that system works well for him. And so it'd be really great. Um, but, you know, I'll put a plug in here for public education. It's hard for public education to be nimble and to change when they're constantly underfunded. Sure, sure. Um, and I would have thought that this year would have built support for, for better funding of public education, being more aware of the shortcomings and the need to fund what schools are doing. And I really haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. And I've been really disappointed by that because I thought we could at least come together there, that it's time to fund public education, make sure everyone gets the same education. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's the same thing I was talking about with the work environment, right? D- different, children with different psychological and physical needs. For some of them, being with that peer group, that's just what they need to excel. That's that motivation that they need. That's what they're filling them up. Other people, it just causes anxiety and pressure and uh, nothing that's helpful for them for being in a health, healthy learning environment, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I can get on a soapbox. We should do a whole podcast on the education system. I would enjoy that. That'd be fun. Um, but they're going to have the same struggles that, that adults have. As you know, we were just talking about having mental health days and <laughs> some days are just easier to be at home. Like that's going to happen for students too. Uh, grade school, junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, my daughter, I know she's, uh, she's in junior high and there's certainly days that I'm like, you should probably just stay home and work from home today. <laughs> um, you know, but most of the time I think she really enjoys going to school, hanging out with friends, getting to see friends and that kind of thing. So, um, I think that's, Maybe like I don't know I'm 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 speaking off the cuff, which usually gets me in trouble. But like, where you have so, you can miss so many days of school, maybe you can have up to X amount of days of you know, or you could just stay home and work from home, um, and do your schoolwork at home. I don't know what the challenges of that would be, yeah. but we're, I think snow days are done, right? That's <laughs> yeah. those are no longer going to be a thing. Yeah. So, what I my one if I had one takeaway from the virtual the remote virtual or whatever you want to call it, uh, the experiences that I've had, 
is that if it's going to be something that's remote, it has to be fully remote. If you're trying to do something that's in person and also bring the remote people in, you end up just feeling like you're watching somebody else have an in-person class. I, I heard uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, who is a business guy that I follow on uh, multiple platforms, but he was he went on a rant about the worst meetings ever are the meetings that have virtual people and real yes. people in the room. He goes, those yeah. are the worst You're just meetings. listening to other people have a meeting. Right. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, I mean, that's what my daughter had to go through a few of those with school, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, those don't seem like a yeah. very even productive. Even if everyone's laughing and having a good time, you're just sitting there like, you know, hmm, I'm feeling even more left out at this point, you know. Um, we we were uh, our church is another example. Uh, St. John's was doing all remote um, services, and they're finding neat ways to get people involved and kind of switch it up and you know bring us through everything. And uh, we we did that all through the pandemic. Now there's enough people in there in person that, that they're going back to doing it in person. And not only is it not fulfilling, it's actually the opposite. It just reminds me of how much I miss being at church because I'm just watching other people do what I can't do right now. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's not to not to fault the decision makers. They gotta, you know, they gotta make the make the choices for what group to go to. But that to me has been the most visceral one, where I just said, like, I I'm just gonna stop doing this until I can go in person at this point. And then. For our work, I think we need to keep that in mind as well. If you're going to have a work environment where some where you are hybrid, you got to not have that be just people taking turns listening into other people have meetings, right? You well, just, like just I, hard I've to balance. been in multiple meetings at work where me and someone else in the meeting are five feet from each other on our own computers, right? Because <laughs> it would be silly to have us have a meeting there and then everybody else on the screen. So, yeah, yeah it's weird. It's it's all this adjustment that everybody's getting used to. What else is on you guys' minds right now? Doesn't have to be political. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know you're really into uh, fitness stuff, Justin, and healthy yeah. living type things. I'm or trying anything, to be. Anything motivational? As I'm sitting here staring at onion rings and eating all the smallest ones, yeah, somehow making me feel better the about smallest it. Smallest onion rings are better. <laughs> <laughs> also, they've gotten a little cold at this point, so if they're if they're colder, I think they're better for you because they don't taste. No, I'll, so I'll, that's good. I'll buy it. That's fine. <laughs> Sounds very scientific. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Anything particular you'd, uh, you, you've been thinking about that's been motivational to you? No, I mean, honestly, I just, I, I set a goal for myself about a year and a half ago. Um, and I am, th- I gotta do the math. I'll, I'll be 38 this year. Um, so about a year and a half ago, I set a goal that at 40, I want to be in the best shape I've ever been in my life and the healthiest I've ever been in my life. And so I have um, stumbled and failed my way through that, but I'm still going in the right direction. So um, that's what I've been doing. And I try to, I'm a, I, I, don't, I don't really believe in addictive personalities, but I, people tell me I have one. And I took up the addiction with working out and I work out all the time. I'm a member of several gyms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're still uh, teaching at Ferrell's? I do. I instruct some fitness classes. Um, I instruct a fitness class and I'll leave that and go to a different gym and do a workout at a different gym. Mm -hmm. Um, which I mean, I'm seeing results with strength, um, and that kind of thing. I've, I've hit a couple smaller goals I set for myself on different lifts and things, which is nice. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, the hardest part for me is going to be losing weight, which it is for so many people. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know these onion rings aren't helping. But <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean I have a couple years left, so hopefully I can get there. Um, I have I don't have a weight number in my mind. Actually, I had a, uh, someone I work out with quite a bit ask me the other day, like, "Hey, when's the last time you weighed yourself?" I go, "I don't really do it because I don't really care what that number says. Um, that's not going to affect my life really. Uh, what that scale says, I just want to look good and feel good, and I'm not there yet. And that's that's yeah. where I'm at. Um, yeah. I'm thinking about joining another gym." Um, Are you that's, collecting them now? I kind of collecting key tags of gyms. Um, Eric Rankin, who's been on the podcast, has been talking to me about joining his gym for several months now. So that might be that might be something coming up that I'll share with you. It's uh, injury scares me with his gym. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that the, nothing against the gym at all. It's against me not taking care of my body for so much of my life, and then to jump into something as athletic as what they do uh, intimidates me a little bit, but. I'll probably do it because yeah. I say that's, yes that's more than I say my, no. That's always my struggle as well. I was a jock in high school. I just played basketball. was like my life. And uh, so then I got hurt. My knees got messed up, my ankles. And so now every time I'm starting something up, like when I did Ferrell's, I was, I was like, I'm going to put money on me doing this for two weeks and then hurting myself. <laughs> but what was cool about, uh, just a quick plug for Ferrell's, is I had a coach assigned to me who was watching me, was talking through things. I did start to have some pain in my ankle. I was able to adjust some of the workouts, and I got through the whole 10-week program without any uh, significant injuries. Yeah. And that's what I kind of, like, tweaked something in my head. of Like, maybe the reason I'm getting hurt is because I'm trying to do all this stuff on my own, and I'm not getting good advice from, from people. And so I think the other inclination with working out and stuff is going zero to 60 mm-hmm. and, like, not taking those incremental steps to, to get to where you want to be. Um, you know, that's what I learned. I lift, I lift a lot of weights and, and that's what I've learned there is like, I set a goal of a 500 pound deadlift. Um, and I wanted to get it like, you know, really fast. And so, uh, the guy I was working with to help me get it, it was like, you just need to slow down, like do, you know, do two two eighty for a couple weeks and then move up 50 pounds and that kind of thing. And it's, it's just hard for my mentality to do. And I think that's the same with a lot of people is like, they get frustrated easily when they don't hit their goals right away mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But I did it. I got 505. It's my, it's my new PR that. on deadlift. 505. 505. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah. And you inspired me. So you were doing, uh, I think, a 20 push-up a day yeah. challenge. Yeah, yeah, And I never told you this, although I many times wanted to text you to tell you um, how much <laughs> I disliked you. Because I, he was always posting these things. I'm like, okay, I will do this. I will do 20 push-ups of a yeah. day. And I and I was able to work my way up there. Yeah. And now I've gotten out of habit, though. So you're right. That incentive, that, that you can be part of a, you know, having accountability really matters when it comes to things like fitness. Because it is so much easier to oh. just sit down and read a book or watch a show. And, and that's why the, a lot of the gyms I do, I go to are like they have they have to have that team atmosphere to them because it just helps motivate me like um i have someone at one gym that you know i work out with and then ferrell's is more of like a group thing where like if you miss a couple days someone's going to text you and that's what i need <laughs> right? that's really awesome because it's it is intimidating so if you're someone who hasn't worked out or hasn't gone to the gym a lot it's intimidating oh yeah um and i honestly i think sometimes that camaraderie can make it a little more intimidating because when you walk in and everyone knows each other yep I get, makes um, sense. but i but i know that you know there are ways to obviously to overcome that and to be welcoming and i'm sure you know you've stuck with it because people were welcoming to you yeah and, and you try to return the favor right like yeah. i i i can take anybody as a guest to most of my gyms that i want to anytime i want and i'm always that 
I always that tell people, hey, you want to check it out? Let me know. I'll meet you there. Um, so yeah, that's a, you know that buddy buddy system going with someone is a great idea. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Because otherwise, it, you know, if you haven't like especially weightlifting, you walk mm. in and there's all these machines, and yes, you yes. can hurt yourself if you don't use it right. Yeah. So it, you, you need to you need to have someone to help you out. With and that. I mean, some of the guys that are, and girls that's been there for years lifting are like they're intimidating. They're like, oh yeah. my gosh, these people know what they're doing, and here I am. I mean. I, I feel so inadequate sometimes lifting next to some people. Um, so I can imagine someone brand new stepping into it. Um, but yeah, so that's been fun. I mean, I try to, um, I do track my food, um, every single day and that's that, a great habit to be in. That's it's good. awful. It sucks. It I does, hate, I, but it tells you a lot. It's, it's it so does. good for your, for being deliberate about what you eat. Absolutely. Know. It's, it's probably the single best thing anybody could do. To figure out, <laughs> thank you. To figure out, you know how to how to control your your weight and, and your health, but it sucks yeah. because um, you got to you you find yourself lying to yourself sometimes when you yeah. first start. You're like, ah, I don't need to track this like handful of chocolate covered almonds. Like, I don't need to do that. That's just a handful of those. And, and you add it up and you see, oh yeah, like 180 calories, calories, right. calories right. per handful. Yeah. 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 So that's one of the positives of working from home. On the whole, uh, working from home has not been good for me health-wise because I always walked to work and I always made a point of like, I always took the stairs instead of the escalator. I kind of have my pattern worked in there. If I'm not real deliberate now, uh, I only get like 1,500 steps a day because I just I basically just walk from my bedroom to my office and then walk my dog a couple times and that's it. So I got to be, I got to push that. But a benefit of working from home is that I can drop down and do some push-ups or some squats or some sit-ups. Not as acceptable in the office to just do that out in the middle. Oh come of the on! Room. Everyone can do that in the make, office, right? We just make should. it. We should be able to. Yeah. Make yeah, it a thing. Get funny looks for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Every thirty minutes, ten push-ups. Make yeah. it a thing. <laughs> you know, I, I I have always wanted to do that, and I've gone through periods of time where I've done that. But mm. I mean, there's no better way, I think, to integrate movement and better yeah. health in your life is just set an alarm and every once an hour do something mm-hmm. 10 jumping jacks 10 push-ups i have little habits like tyson just mentioned at work not taking the escalator and stuff like i i've worked at i've worked where i do for almost six months um and i consistently go from the second floor to the basement um multiple times a day and i've never used the elevator yeah. i've always used stairs and i i have a rule in my head that anything four stories or less i take the stairs no matter mm-hmm. what building i'm in nice um and then i parking close like that's another thing like I'm just like I don't look for spots usually um, if I'm don't, by myself I don't always, you think it's hilarious at I always the gym. find it so funny at the gym when oh, people are like circling trying to find a spot that's close to the door <laughs> like, that cracks like, me aren't up. you here to exercise park as far away it should be the opposite of the gym everyone should fill the outside spots first and then work their way but down. I've caught myself doing it yeah, and laughed in mid fun of myself habit, too yeah. <laughs> only exceptions I have if you have young kids or if it's like the weather's bad, bad weather yeah, yeah I understand yeah. that um, so I have two actually, things it, it occurred to me when my kids were young because I was like I am trying to get uh, like a one, three, and a five-year-old out of my car and into this building. Can I please have a spot that's close? And then you see this like jacked guy go and grab your spot so you can just walk <laughs> like ten feet sooner. And I'm like, ah, come on, man. Anyway, I have two sheets that I have hung on the back of my basement doors because I I'm in my ba- that's where my office is. Uh, so I see them every day, and, and they have every month of the year um, on them, and then they're divided up into how many days in the month. I, it's really hard to just explain through audio. Um, maybe I'll take a picture of it and throw it in the comments of, the, of this podcast. But you shade it in for every day you accomplish that goal for the day. So I have two. I have one for working out every day, um, which, I mean, I don't work out every day, but I would say I do more often than I don't because I get to shade in something. And the other one, just talking about different stuff to talk about on the podcast today, is reading. Um, I, every year I want to read more than I did the, the year before. And 
So every time I read for at least 10 minutes, I get to shade in something. And that one I have not done as well of a job on this year. Like working out, I, I'm, I'm killing that. But the reading, like I'll go three or four days and I'll be like, but that on the back of the door helps though. Cause I don't, I'm like, I haven't shaded anything in for three or four days. I'm like, I got to sit down and read. I got to find time to read, which is really weird. Cause I don't really do any other mindless activity. I don't watch TV hardly at all. Um, really honestly, if I, if it wasn't for my wife and daughter, I probably wouldn't have a TV in the house. Um, I don't mean to be virtuous cause I will scroll through Facebook for like an hour. <laughs> so I, I have, I have other vices. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like this year, I think I've read, I've completed only three books, um, where like, I don't know, I think it was two or three years ago, I was averaging like two or three books a month. Uh, it was purposeful. Like I had to force myself to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I could just get to a good amount, I'd be happy. But what well, happens... Well, a month is a good target. Although it depends on what you're reading. I mean, Obama's book was, it was dense. It was hefty. It, that was, that was a slow read. I, I one of my friends goes, you're still reading that. Um, and I'm like, yeah. And it's not that it's bad. Like, I want to make sure people, like, sometimes uh-huh. it takes me a long time to read a book. And I'm like, it's not a bad book. It's a really good book. I really enjoyed it. Um, but it was just, I related it to the Steve Jobs book that came out, I think it was 2011, 2012. Really good book. Great insight on, on obviously, an iconic person, uh, the good and the bad of them and that book I had to take a break from like I read half of it stopped read two other books and then went back and read the second half and I probably should have done that with the Obama book um, because I kind of got that same like just tired of reading the same kind of stuff um, especially on some of the foreign policy stuff that he put in there and stuff because that can just really be like takes up a lot of room a lot of mental thought uh, for yeah, me it was so. really information dense I mean really interesting and yeah. it's such a great insight into his leadership style yeah. which I thought was really interesting you know how did he approach problem solving how did he approach policy I mean it was fascinating but I, I did the same thing I would set it down because I had I just had to I don't know if I had to take a break. I mean, yes, I had to take a break, but also just to, to let it settle. Yeah, that too. And I I, I, I just finished it a while ago, and, and, I, and I think about, I still think about things that I didn't catch while I was reading it, while I'm just thinking about the book, mm-hmm. like how many times that he would mention someone that was in his administration or an advisor of some sort, and the way he always said, they always disagreed with me. They always challenged, like, he, he liked to surround himself with those people. And he made a comment about one of them, and I don't know who it was um, right now, but he, he said, like, even though I knew they would come in and they would always, you know, almost make me feel bad, like I wasn't doing enough, having that person still made me have an internal dialogue about, am I doing enough? Um, so, yeah, I, it, that was a great book. You know, if you like Barack Obama or not, I thought it was a good insight into the way a president, um, well, that took you all the way through the campaign and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but He's got volume two still to come, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> With the way, because I mean, it only made it to... I mean, they might have more than two volumes because I think it, it made it to the uh, Bin Laden like was the end of it. It didn't get very far. I mean, it was after the midterms yeah. of his first term, but yeah. that was it. How about you, Tyson? Read any good books lately? Um, yeah, so I'm reading a book that's really dense like that, too. I've probably been reading it for about a year because I read like five or six pages and then I just have to digest it all. It's about a, uh, it's called Maps of Meaning. It's about like the psychological significance of mythology and how, um, you know, things like, just real basic, even real basic concepts like good versus evil, chaos versus order, is um, just like ingrained in our psyche and the way we view all things. And I mean, it's it's a textbook basically. It's it's kind of pitched as a regular book, but it's really a textbook. So. And those are not light topics. <laughs> They're not. Yeah, but man, it's just it's it's very profound and um, 
I mean, the basic thing is like, you, if you have too much order, then you're just stagnant and you'll die. If you have too much chaos in your life, then you're just adrift and not pulling, uh, you're not uh, able to comprehend what's going on around you. And so the, the, the optimal psychological health and growth comes from like constantly being on the edge between like where you just quite don't understand what's going on, but it's enough that you can sort of like form it into thoughts and lessons that you can pull back and then try to teach others. So it's like the mythological hero goes out into the wilderness, slays the dragon, gets the gold from the dragon, brings it back and shares it with his community. That's like kind of what it is for somebody to learn a new thing and to share it with other people. So um, I just see it everywhere. Like I see it in the video games my kids play. It's just, it's just taken as, uh, taken as, I heard someone describe video games as kill the guys, get the stuff. Like that's <laughs> basically what most video games boil down to. Yeah. But a lot of our life is that it resonates with us. It's deep metaphorically for us to, uh, to, to engage in that. You're in some new activity, you figure it out. There's, there's that feeling of like I've mastered a thing that I didn't understand before. So it's very motivational to me, but very... Uh, Again, very dense, and I'm trying to listen to the audiobook, and I just I try to take a walk and take a half hour walk and listen to it, and then I just sort of like decompress on it for a while. Um, but uh, other than that, on a lighter note, I've been I think my kids are old enough now that they can watch the Marvel movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've started with mm-hmm. Captain America. We're working our way through. So we're we got halfway through Thor today, and uh, it's just so funny to see it new through their eyes because they don't know how it's going to happen. They don't yeah. know what's going to happen, right? So they're genuinely worried that Captain America is going to die in the first movie. You know, they're like, "Oh my gosh, it's, you know, Red Skull seems pretty powerful. Dad, is he going to make it?" I'm like, I don't know. Let's see what happens. You know, it's a, just seeing like the wonder through their eyes of all this stuff and this huge um, again the, the mythology for them that I'm introducing them to, the cultural context that they have with stuff. Um, that's been really, really enjoyable to me. Um, it's a lot though. Twenty-one movies, I think. I think that's right. Twenty I, movies. It's a I lot. seriously bet I've seen less than three of those. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like even the stuff you were just talking about, like I have no idea what he's mm-hmm. talking about. I know what Captain America is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, you That's know, funny. I, if there's really only like two things that it, it was, um, and Disney owns both of them: the Star Wars and there's Marvel movies. It's the one thing that like seems to be just this cultural consciousness that people know what they are. Maybe Harry Potter was like that too, but Harry aren't Potter, ones. yeah, definitely. Uh, but, like, I've the, never the, seen a Star Wars movie. Really. <laughs> You know, and that's that's unfortunate because he's really hard. Well, because if you wanted to now, I think it's really hard, especially for the first three, yeah. to watch it now yes. and to understand what it was like to watch it when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I think I try. I think I, uh, I think there was a couple attempts uh, in my life, and, and one of them was recently. So when I was a kid, I remember being at my grandma's house and cousins watching one of the Star Wars movies, and I didn't get into it then. And then, like, I remember it's probably been like six, seven, eight years ago now. My wife and I, who she also, I don't know, if she'd never seen any of them or, or couldn't remember them. We're like, let's try to get it was the originals and like I just couldn't get into it yeah um, movie movie making has advanced just too much to yeah. really to really mm-hmm. I, so, yeah. I think it's tough I'm not a big movie so last night we watched two movies um, just cause I'm leaving for a business trip on Monday for a week and uh, wanted to spend some time together and so we like picked two movies to watch uh, and that's probably the first two movies I've sat down and watched all the way through for a very long time Susan's going to be so mad at me for mentioning her so much in this episode, but I, she hadn't seen any of them, and we watched them together and uh, had some great revelations. Uh, my favorite one, though, is that she thought that Harrison Ford's character was named Hans, 
So she thought he was Hans Olo. Like he was like a Swedish guy or something. Like, hello, I'm Hans. <laughs> and uh, so just I having. Love that. And also, she was super shocked that Leia and. Uh, and um, Luke were, were brother and sister. So. Wait, didn't they kiss before? And I was like, yeah, you're, you know, this is, spoiler alert, that happened 50 years ago, but yeah, or maybe not that long, 40 years ago. But, uh, you know, again, seeing the wonder through her eyes of all the things. Yeah. Okay, um, for the record, they did not come out 50 years ago. Yeah, when was <laughs> we it? We are not that it's old. The 70s or something? <laughs> or, okay. When, when, yeah. When, yeah. Anyway. How about, about you, you really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you reading? Um, I just finished uh, The Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates. Okay. Um, not a new book. It came out, well, it's pretty new. It came out two years ago. Really good, really good book. Um, it's interesting. Um, it's stories that she is telling about the work that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation oh, yeah. has done around the world. And so, you know, it's really eye-opening in a lot of regards. Yeah. Um, because... It does, to some extent, contrast, you know, with the, the challenges we have versus the challenges that others have in the world. I mean, one statistic that just I, I still can't wrap my head around is that, according to this book, the number one cause of death for um, girls between the ages of 15 and 19 worldwide is childbirth. Is what? Sorry. Childbirth. Oh, okay. I mean, that just to me is just shocking. Huh. Um, and, um, you know, so just the, the differences. But, but what's really... I think most interesting to me, and you know, the foundation is doing just such incredible work in many different areas, but the lessons that she had to offer are universal. Uh, and, and the one that really stood out is that empathy is the, you know, according to her, empathy is the beginning point of any social change or any systemic change. You have to start with empathy. I love it. And, you know, that's, you know, that's not oftentimes where we start, right? And sure. that was the point she was making, is that oftentimes we start with what is the problem and how do we solve it? <laughs> As opposed to why does the problem exist? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it has persi- why has it persisted? I mean, obviously, if we're defining it as a problem, it doesn't work for everyone. But who does it work for? And why are they holding on to it? Um, and, you, wow. you know, that that's a difficult problem at the, you know, when you're dealing with things like um, farming in third world countries or dealing with epidemics like AIDS or, um, you know, child marriage, things like that. But that is just as applicable to um, problem solving in our own lives Mm -hmm. or, you know, getting back to municipal government. It's just as applicable there. Why do these issues exist and how do we solve them? And then, of course, the second lesson um, she talked about was making sure you have the right people at the table. Um, Otherwise, the input you're getting will not give you the right output Mm -hmm. and you will spend a lot of time and money finding solutions for things that weren't the true problem. Um, so yeah. great book. It's a, it's a pretty, it's it's it deals with difficult topics, but it is it does not get mired down in them. Yeah. Um, so it has a very uplifting and positive um, uh, tone to it throughout the book, which you know when she's dealing with the things she's dealing with and telling some of the stories that she's telling of people she's met around the world, it would be easier to get mired down and to feel very hopeless. But she paints a picture of you know we can truly change last achieve lasting change. Um, in all areas. So, anyway, yeah, great th- book. It reminds me of, sounds like a similar theme, a book I read several years ago about effective ministry to people, and it was by someone who had spent time in Africa where he, there's this tendency to just say, I'm going to come in and fix all your problems, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't take the time to actually understand what the the sources of the problems are, and actually trying to fix them can just make things worse than uh, just staying out of it altogether, and it's a real temptation doing any kind of charity work just to say I'm going to come in and, and fix what's fix the issue here. With um, it's much more complicated than that. Otherwise, frankly, someone else probably would have fixed it before you if it was just an easy thing. 
Um, I've also heard it say, I don't know if this is along the same lines, but people think that the that the solution to to poverty is to give people more money, but it's there's a deeper question of like why aren't they able to sustain themselves? That's harder to answer, and the, the easy fix is just oh, I'm going to cut you a, a check. But um, it's it's a short term solution, but not a long long term addressing the underlying issue of why somebody's in poverty. Yeah. Unfortunately, also an excuse for people who aren't inclined to help to just say like, well, you know. I, I don't want to give those people money because it just is worse for them, right? Uh, you got to stay away from that other side of the temptation. Uh, interesting. <laughs> I tell you, if you're reading a, something I did with the Obama book, being just a, a big, a larger book that was uh, took a while to get through, is I found a book that was really, really easy to get through, and and uh, one of them was um, Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. Um, he take I don't know the number somewhere probably if I had to guess around the ballpark of sixty to eighty different people, political figures, actors, business people. Um, and he asked them basically all the same, like six to eight questions. And he just published their answers uh, to those questions. Um, at least the interesting ones of them. And it was nice because like each chapter of that book was like two pages compared to, you know, Barack Obama's 60 page, 70 page chapters. Um, but that's what I would. That's what I did for a while. Is I w- until I, I finished Tim Ferriss's book was I'd read like a chapter of Obama's book, then I'd read like five chapters of this <laughs> other book, and then go back to that one. Uh, but that's a good one to check out too. It has a ton of good information. It's funny how different people from different um, perspectives answer the same question, um, which I found really fascinating too. And the third, because I named two of the three books, I, I, I'll, I'll name the third. It was just, actually, I don't know the name of it, but it was a Introduction to Stoicism, which Eric Rankin has talked to me a lot about. I'll mention okay. him one more time. Um, but he's a big, he's big into Stoic. And um, so I think he might have actually loaned me the book, um, but I finished that one this, uh, this year uh-huh. too. Interesting. Yeah. Things do require um, some Stoicism around here, especially COVID is a good example where you can't, other than, being trying to be responsible getting your shot you can't do anything to fix the problem he's got to wait it out right yeah um, and try not to put everybody else down yeah I see a lot of that happening uh, with with COVID um, very judgmental people um, mm-hmm. on both sides of uh, on every side of the issue it's not yeah. just two sides but on every side of the issue um, I am happy to have gotten my second shot yes on Friday so um, I did not and you feel look pretty good you don't look like you're thank you feeling too <laughs> under the weather yesterday was a bit rough had some had some weird stuff going on at, but you know what uh, I don't like being sick I hate it it really irritates me because I just want to do some I want to get stuff done right I got my projects I want to work on but you just just knowing I'd say anyone getting their second shot just set aside that day know that you might not be feeling well especially it seems to be younger people so if you're under if you're under 40. Probably it's probably really nice to have that flexibility to work from home when you knew that you were going to be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bringing it back around. Nice, yeah. nice. Very um, good. It's like you've done this before. <laughs> just don't count on getting anything done that day, and then you'll be pleasantly surprised, you know. But yeah, I had flu symptoms and um, and that kind of thing. But feels feels weird. Feels weird to be on the other side of it. And good to be able to be more be more free in some things that I do. Yeah, I always even after I got my I told that I, mean, I just make sure people know like it doesn't mean you can't get it just like it, mm-hmm. <laughs> still need to be careful. Like Yeah, we're still sitting 6 feet apart here. Yeah, I saw, <laughs> I mean I saw a picture um that someone posted on Facebook of downtown Bloomington. I think it was last weekend. Oh yeah. Did you see it too? Yeah. Uh, like Very there was some some sort of pub crawl going on like a huge line of what Amelia probably like 40 to 60 people at least standing yeah. outside the door waiting in the bar shoulder to shoulder I'm like 
stop it. Like, it's just... Yeah, this I, isn't over. Yeah, This I isn't mean, over, and the, the faster we can get everyone and I don't wanna vaccinated, like, the better. I don't want to, like, the, I don't like overly selling fear either. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's been a lot of that on the, from the left, if I'm being honest. Like, I think uh, that we overly sold fear, and the other side, you know, did the opposite, and the truth was somewhere in the middle. But... That is not appropriate yet right now. I know that. The shoulder to shoulder, 40 to 60 people deep um, shouldn't be there. But I don't know if you guys are Bill Maher fans. I know you've mentioned you watched yeah. you watch him yeah. sometimes. Yeah, he had a really fascinating thing on that last yeah. week. Was it last week? Um, about how liberals overestimate the chance yeah. of getting it. Yeah. Like, what was it? I'm trying to remember the stat off the top of my head. About 70, yeah, I think it was like 76% right of the people that died from COVID uh, were obese, hmm. which is a pretty large number. And so his, his his thought was like, I wish we'd put the energy into fixing that problem. And then, which I mean, it's a fair point. And this is coming from a guy that's very overweight, right? Like, like it's a fair point that I wish the, the government and, the, and everybody would put more emphasis on just people being more healthy. Um, and then that would better equip us for things like this in the future. So that's yeah. an excellent point. Yeah. And, you know, it raises an interesting one, too, which is that. I think oftentimes throughout the pandemic, there was an expectation that people, when they said something, would always be right. Like if you were speaking from a position of authority and you were saying something based on current data, that if you were then later proven wrong or proven that there was more nuance to what you had to say, that in some way it was inappropriate for you to have said what you said. Yeah. Fauci got a lot of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, so that reminds me of a book, another book I read recently, (laughs) which is Think Again by organizational psychologist Adam Grant, which talks about, you know, the, the, how that is an unproductive way of thinking. Yeah. That being proven wrong is not a bad thing. It is an opportunity to learn. And, you know, and so I like the way you presented that is, you know, this is an interesting new piece of data. What can we do with that? Mm-hmm. Um, so moving forward, we're better protected. All of us are better protected. I'll bring up Gary Vaynerchuk again because he's big on that too. He, he actually loves, because he, if, if you don't know, he's been like the social media guy for, for, he's one of the early adapters of this. So much of his life is recorded because he literally has someone follow him around to post stuff on social media well, all the time. Well, that's normal. Uh, right, right. <laughs> um, but, but he loves to pull up clips of things he got wrong or things that he changed his mind on. And he likes to draw attention to that. He's like, yeah, I changed my mind because we're humans. We do that. Or, you know, hey, yeah, I had wrong information. I was wrong here. Um, but I mean, obviously. And isn't that exciting? Because yeah. now I can be right. Right. And I mean, this is a guy that's, you know, uber successful um, mm-hmm. who, who's been an investor in almost every big tech company over the last 10 years. And so he's obviously found success, but he loves highlighting all the things he's done wrong. And I love that about him, too. Yeah. Yeah, I found that the, the survey here, um, Gallup did a survey, asked people, what are the chances somebody with COVID must yeah, be, this must is be fascinating. hospitalized? Um, the correct answer is like zero to 5%. Uh, only 10% of Democrats got that right. 26% of Republicans got it right. Um, but does it show the, the category? Highest, the highest one was 50% and up. Uh, 40% of Democrats thought that that was the case yeah. compared to only 28% of Republicans. So hold on. 40% of Democrats thought that you had a 50-50 shot of dying if you got COVID. Uh, no, being, being hospitalized. hospitalized. Oh, being hospitalized. Okay. But still. But yeah, so ten, I mean... 10 times more likely than the risk actually is. Right. So, so. I mean, that, that shows you that we were driven by fear a lot. And, and uh, yeah. not that the I, other... Uh, I'm curious. That's, there's so much about that stat that's so very interesting. And I think... Because yeah. Yeah. I'm very curious because... what. What does that actually reflect? I mean, does that is I, that the reflection of how you know is 
of how politics got into to Bill's point, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Tyson, to Bill's point, he wanted politics out of his health care decisions because yes. he, he said that's what happened is it became mm-hmm. polarized with politics of the right saying this is a joke, like this isn't real. And the left's combat was that uh, combative with that with the exact opposite saying, no, you're going to die. And so like that was what we heard instead of just giving the medical facts of the situation. We heard the polarization that politics had brought into it. So his point was get politics out of my dis- medical decisions, yeah. uh, which is, which is I, a pretty darn good point. 100% fair, yeah. I yeah. Think to your, and I think to the point we were just talking about is also being willing to admit that you're wrong, yeah. right? So at first, it looked like things could be ex- extremely serious with this, like, you know, 10, 15% mortality rate, you know, uh, something of that nature. Thankfully, the mortality rate is down around the 2% range now. That's a good thing. We should be happy that it's not as severe as we think it is. You can have that thought and then simultaneously say it is still an issue that we need to continue to maintain. Yeah. Right? Admitting that it's not as bad as we thought it was is not saying that it is good. It's just saying we have more information and we should adjust our emotions and our actions it accordingly to it. just goes to, it, so. to the bigger problem of politics is in everything we do now. Like it's in our... So polarized. Yeah, everything. And, and it's it's led to so much misinformation and over-exaggeration. And, um, yeah, it's – I don't know what the solution for that is. I mean, obviously, it's infiltrated news and media over the last, you know, 20 years very, very much so. And now with this pandemic, we see how much it's infiltrated healthcare. Um and those and the way that that news gets brought to us, which is dangerous, right? Well, yeah, I mean, we saw in the pandemic how dangerous it is. Yeah. How common sense approaches to managing it were not adopted in some areas. Yeah, and as a result, their hospitalizations were higher. Yeah, um, yeah. and that, that that's that's really um, like the worst. That is a worst-case outcome for polarization, is to have people get divergent outcomes based on what they've been exposed to or the people that they have elected. Mm-hmm. As yeah. opposed to the facts that should drive those decisions. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is just trying to trying to have conversations like this with a variety of people, right? Just approach people I, I, with the assumption that they have something that you can learn from them. Try to listen openly to what they have to say. See if they've got good information to challenge you. Um, and then be involved locally, right? Just to see that you can work shoulder to shoulder with someone even if you are on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Uh, but I, I would also add to that, though, that we can't treat everyone's opinion as, a, as an equivalency to another sure. person's opinion, right? My opinion mm-hmm. um, on best practices for COVID is not even in the same league as Dr. Fauci's, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> so you should not you should not listen to me. So I That's think fair. we need to also keep that in, in consideration that um, not all opinions have the same factual backing. Mm-hmm. So we need to be able to um, distinguish between fact and opinion and how to properly weight them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, time flies. Oh, I, I did look up uh, Star Wars came out 43 years ago. So it's No, you've got to be kidding me. 77. Yeah. Well, clearly I didn't see that as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair to you, they didn't reveal that uh, Leah and uh, Luke were... Uh, brother and sister until later on. Maybe you're referring to that point, but gosh, forty some years ago, seventy seven. It's nuts. But well, I said fifty, so seventy seven was only twenty five, thirty years ago. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the eighties. We subtract everything from two thousand. Yeah. That's the rule. Everything stopped at two thousand. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for hanging out, guys. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, a Little Beaver, for letting us hang out here and use this space. It's good to be out in public again. It was it was okay to do these over Zoom, but nothing substitutes the just experience of being able to 
to get together here. A place I know takes safety seriously, takes COVID restrictions seriously. They got all their staff doing what they need to do. They got the space set up right, so you can feel comfortable coming in here. Onion rings are good. Yep. Five <laughs> finance drive. <laughs> all right, we done? Let's be done.